Hi, everyone, and welcome to this session on Civita's first year, Vaccines in the Spotlight with Fiona Conlon. My name is Bridget Williams, and I'll be the MC for this session. Fiona Conlon is the co-founder of Civita, a one-year-old nonprofit working to boost uptake of routine childhood vaccines in India. Civita's program is based on a model first identified to be impactful in a randomized controlled trial by Nobel laureates Abhijit Banerjee and Esther Duplo. Prior to launching Civita, Fiona earned a double first-class degree from Cambridge in Natural Sciences and Management, interned at the World Health Organization, and also worked on health project design, implementation, and evaluation in Tanzania with student-led nonprofit Cambridge Development Initiative. Here's Fiona. Hi everyone, my name is Fiona and I'm really excited to be here today speaking on behalf of Suvita and our whole team and organisation. We are a young non-profit just over a year old working to increase uptake of routine immunisations in India and the setting in which we work in India is one where roughly one third of children reach their first birthday without having received all of the recommended vaccines that they should have been scheduled by that age. And this results in the death of one child every four minutes from a vaccine preventable disease. I'll start by giving a little bit of background about Suvita's, um, the founding of Suvita as an organization. And then I'll talk about our experience during our first year and how we've responded and adapted to the coronavirus pandemic. And then share some latest updates about what we're currently focusing on and our plans moving forward. So to begin with some background about Suvita, we emerged from the charity entrepreneurship incubation program which took place last year and where I was really lucky to meet my amazing co-founder, Varsha. And as we were completing the incubation program, this coincided really nicely with a very exciting development in the evidence base for, um, for programs that can be used to increase uptake of routine immunization, and particularly the completion of a large-scale randomized controlled trial by JPAL and by its economists, including Abhijit Banerjee and Esther Duflo, who went on to win the Nobel Prize about a month later. So the study was focused on the state of Haryana in India and looking at several different interventions which were believed to be promising for potentially boosting attendance for routine immunization appointments. And the method that we um, are particularly excited about that's emerged from the findings of this study is immunization ambassadors. So this is our key program, um, and I'll give you a brief summary of exactly what it looks like and how it works. The core focus of the Immunization Ambassadors program is about identifying people within a community who naturally take on an influencer role and are particularly predisposed to spread information within their own social networks to other people. And the idea is that by identifying these people and asking if they'd be happy to, to serve that purpose for um, discussions around routine immunization, the aim is to increase community awareness and motivation around immunization such that more parents um, bring their children to get their crucial vaccinations. So the, the key nuts and bolts of how the program works as we deliver it is that step one is identifying these influencers who might be potentially really strong ambassadors. And we do this through a peer nomination survey, which involves um, surveying a random sample of people from within a community and asking them, the, the key question, which is basically, if there was an event happening within your community, who would you be likely to hear about it from and who would be spreading that information? And what this question does is then results in people identifying those who naturally take on the influencer role. And so once you've identified the influencer, then you ask them if they would be interested in participating in the program. So you go to them and say, we're working on a program to try and increase attendance at vaccination appointments. You've been nominated by other members of your community. Would you be interested in, in being involved with this? 
And then when they say yes, we begin a series of ongoing sort of very light touch communication with the ambassadors, which involves sending an SMS message or a phone call every couple of weeks, sharing some quite generic information about immunization um, such that they can pass it on to others in their community and aim to create more of a more of a sense of motivation around um, and motivation and memory around vaccinations within within the communities where they live. So um, that's our core program, which Civita was founded to focus on. I'll just talk briefly about another intervention which we've added more recently, um, roughly six months ago, as a result of our merge with Charity Science Health. So they were another nonprofit which similarly had focused on a very evidence-driven approach to decide what program they would work on and were also in the vaccination demand space in India through a program which involves sending SMS reminders directly to new parents. So people would get a message seven days before and one day before their child is due for a vaccine, which acts as a small reminder to help them remember to get to that appointment. And so this is a second tool which we which we now have in our programs within Suvita as a result of the merge with Charity Science Health. So I'll give a bit of a picture of where we were in March when obviously, you know, the coronavirus pandemic really started to take hold. So on the, the side of immunization ambassadors, we were just preparing to launch our pilots of the program. And the aim of this pilot was really very much about achieving proof of concept that we could successfully replicate the method that had been implemented by JPAL in their large scale trial that showed it to be effective. So this was very much about delivering it operationally successfully. And by doing that, we were focusing very closely on maintaining really good fidelity to JPAL's model because that's the one which the evidence exists for. And so before making any changes which we think might further make the intervention more cost effective, job number one is to make sure that we're able to deliver it as successfully as they did as a starting point. So that was our plan for immunization ambassadors. And then um, we were also midway through discussions with Charity Science Health and midway through the process of merging um, to take on the SMS Reminders program. So obviously at this point, then the coronavirus pandemic really started to kick off um, and take hold globally. And it became apparent to all of us that the world was not going to look the same for the rest of 2020 as any of us had anticipated. And so I'll talk now a little bit about some of the things that we did in response to that development. So the first of these, crucially, was about protecting our team and our program users. Given that our focus as an organization is about reducing the spread of transmissible diseases, and that's what vaccination is all about, we obviously need to be incredibly mindful of any risks that our work might pose for increasing the spread of such diseases, of which COVID is clearly one. Particularly given that many of our program users live in relatively under-resourced areas in terms of healthcare provision, and so we need to be really careful about potentially presenting any risks where if our team member might travel from Patna, which is the capital of Bihar state, to a rural community which doesn't have really great access to healthcare, um, we need to be very careful about any potential risks that we might be posing there. And so our immediate response involved getting all of our team working from home and pausing our programs to work out what it would be safe and feasible to implement under the context of a pandemic. So the next thing that we were thinking about is, um, as this really was clearly becoming a, a serious national and global issue, we were considering whether there's anything that we're able to do with the existing tools that we have that might help with the coronavirus response. And as I mentioned, our immunization ambassadors program was very nascent at this point. We were just preparing to launch the pilot. But on the other hand, the SMS reminders program was quite mature. And essentially what it meant is that we had 
the infrastructure and the ability to deliver mass SMS messages. And so the question arose for us of whether this could potentially be a promising way to help reduce the spread of coronavirus by messaging people with key information that might be useful to them about behaviors they can follow to, to, for infection control. And so given the position that we were in at that point, we knew we had the means to deliver the program. But we are also very aware that as a, an organization with funding, we have a real responsibility to make sure that that funding is used effectively. Because if we're working on a program which we don't have good evidence for and, you know, may not be having any impact at all, then that's a waste, you know, it's a waste of funding that could be spent on something better. And so given that this was an area which was less well endowed with evidence at the point at which we were thinking about sending SMSs related to COVID, we thought that a really crucial thing to do would be to um, to develop some evidence to suggest whether or not this would be a good thing to operate at the scale that we were able to deliver. So we had some conversations with our government partners to get a sense of whether this is something that they would be interested in and whether they thought it would be useful for us to test SMS messages messages for this purpose. And then we also partnered with an academic team from Harvard School of Public Health who um, would provide sort of academic expertise if we were able to deliver a trial. And so the sort of conclusion that we reached from our government discussions is that in Bihar, our state government partners were interested in, in saying, yes, you have permission to go ahead and test this. Let's see if we can do something effective with SMS messages. And so we implemented that study and the implementation is complete. And we're just in the data analysis stage at this point, um, which is what the academic team is working on. And the key headline figure from from the study is that it seems based on what we've got so far that SMSs may not be a particularly effective method to reduce COVID safe, um, to sorry, to increase COVID safe behaviours uh, in the form that we're able to deliver the messages. And so this is really crucial for us because it's, you know, the lesson for us there is that at the moment, based on the information that we have, um, unless something changes when the, the academic team completes the analysis side of things, um, the suggestion is that this probably wouldn't be the best use of our resources at this point in time. So the other core area of our work is obviously immunization. And another thing that we've been putting a lot of time and attention to in recent months is about how we can adapt this immunization work to the coronavirus pandemic and to the this setting of the new normal. So to give sort of a rough picture of the developments in immunization over this year and how they've been affected by coronavirus, I think the the key summary comes from this press release from press release from the World Health Organization where WHO and UNICEF conducted a survey of countries earlier in the year quite early on during the coronavirus pandemic to see what the status was of their routine immunization services. And of the countries that got back to them, three quarters said that there had been severe disruption to routine immunization. And so this is a really worrying development for us because um, the estimate is that probably in India, maybe millions of children have missed vaccines that they would have got as a result of the coronavirus pandemic. And when we consider sort of the baseline against which this is operating in India, it's particularly it presents a really concerning development for public health. So this pie chart represents the 26 million children who are born in India each year. And the green section is the one that we like, where all five doses have been given to the child and they're fully immunized at their first birthday. And the areas in which Suvita works are the sort of red, orange and yellow sections where we see children who have not received all of the crucial doses of vaccination that they should be getting by their first birthday. So for some children, they might be completely missed out by the health system entirely. And this is the red portion who received no doses. 
There are some children who will have been born in a hospital or a health facility and therefore got their birth dose of the BCG vaccine. And the remaining children in the yellow portion are those who have returned after having been born. They've returned for at least one subsequent visit, but they have failed to complete the rest of the series. So they may have gone for their six week DPT vaccine, but then didn't get the next ones and didn't move on to the measles dose that they're due to get before their first birthday. And for us at Suvita, we expect that our programs work primarily for supporting those in the yellow portion. So the, the children who have had some of their vaccines but have drop, dropped off at some point because the, the populations that we think are most likely to benefit from our programs are those where small barriers can prevent them from accessing their later doses in the series, but they are invested in immunization and they have had a successful sort of connection to the supply which the government has invested in massively over the last couple of decades. So collectively, the consensus has been very strong throughout this year, very quickly after the pandemic developed, that it's really crucial to maintain services of routine immunizations. So in India, as I said, maybe a million or several million children have missed doses. Um, but there's been a really strong mandate from the central government to continue routine immunization delivery. And this is exactly what all the states have been doing since the big drop off happened in April, May time earlier this year. So you can see an example here from our government partners who are delivering routine immunization in Bihar of the ongoing adapted immunization services that account for the need for social distancing and wearing masks and so on. So the one sort of useful piece of information here is that although services very much have been continuing, it seems as though in India they have not yet quite reached the normal baseline that would be expected if there hadn't been the pandemic. And so this for us, for Suvita, the, the key sort of lesson and reflection for us here is that the problem that we're working on this year has become bigger than it was when we started and therefore more important and is really crucial for us to be, to be focusing on. Particularly, you know, if we think about anything that we've learned about herd immunity this year, it's that the, as soon as you get small numbers of people missing doses of vaccines, that can result in very dangerous outbreaks, particularly for highly infectious diseases like measles. And so for Suvita, this has really given us a, a strong compulsion to, to drive forward with our work on immunization and help to ensure that all parents are able to, to access the benefits of immunization for their children and their communities. So returning back to how we've adapted our work to, to this new normal setting, our current focus for the immunization ambassadors pilot is in delivering a remote version of the program. So whereas our original plan had been to first replicate what JPAL had produced and then consider options to iterate where we might be able to make it more effective or lower cost and therefore more cost effective. The, the sort of focus for us now is on delivering a fully remote version of that pilot from the get-go. And this is an iteration that we would have been very excited to try anyway, because we think that if the effectiveness could be maintained, then reducing the cost is a, is a likely consequence of taking it remote because our team wouldn't have to go to every single community where we'd be hoping to identify an influencer. We'd be able to access them by phone. And so over the last few months since August, when we launched the pilot, we've been operating this remote version. And one of the key things that this has meant for us is having to return and reflect very carefully on exactly what assumptions we're making when we deliver our program and which, which steps in the theory of change we believe are taking place and why that is. Because by shifting um, to a remote setting, it introduces a number of additional assumptions that we wouldn't have had to make otherwise. 
So things like, will people be even willing to speak to us on the phone? Will they be happy to nominate their friends over the phone and give us their phone numbers so that we can then contact the influencer who they've nominated? And then will influencers be happy to be recruited to be a member of the program if we're only speaking to them over the phone rather than in person? And so our early findings related to all of these questions is that the answer is yes. Um, and this is really reassuring for us because these are some of the key uncertainties that we had in launching the remote version of the program. So, so far, we've completed two full rounds of ambassador recruitment. So we've got almost 100 ambassadors at this point. And of those who we had reached the nomination stage with, so who'd actually been nominated by other members of their community, 100% of them agreed to then take on this role of the immunization ambassador. And so for us, this is a really good sign that people are excited to be involved with the intervention. They believe that it's useful. And this gives us confidence moving forward that something good is happening in terms of our program implementation. So the subsequent steps that we're now focusing on and we'll be focusing on in the near future in, a, in an ongoing manner are related to this subsequent communication with the ambassadors and the SMSs and phone calls that we will be delivering to them, to which, which will hopefully result in them spreading information and mobilizing members of their community to attend for vaccines. So that first step of the spread of information is the is a, a critical point that we're concentrating on right now. And the way that we're testing this is by providing our ambassadors with a phone number, which they can pass on to anyone in their community who has a child that is eligible for vaccines or someone who or a family who has a pregnancy so that they can give a missed call to our number. And we will then phone them back to enroll them for our SMS reminders program. And the crucial feature of this is that the only source of that phone number in a community would be an ambassador because we haven't advertised it elsewhere. And so if anyone makes a missed call to that number in the near future, we know that that's a result directly of ambassadors passing on that information to people who they think it will be useful for. So this is one of our key monitoring steps that we're working on at the moment. And then subsequently to that, the obviously crucial final step is that once parents receive information about immunization, they do actually bring their children to get vaccinated. And so the key data sources that we'll be using to, to determine whether we've effectively resulted in that is um, the reproductive child health data that comes from our government partners to see if the programme has resulted in increased uptake of immunisation in the areas where we're able to deliver the programme compared to areas where we haven't delivered the programme. So that's sort of a summary of some of our work so far and our key next steps. And I thought that just to conclude, I would bring back to the focus on vaccinations related to COVID-19, because obviously in the last few days at the time that I'm recording this, we've had some really fantastic news about several potentially very effective vaccines, which are a really fantastic tool for us in our ongoing um, attempts to, to sort of quell the COVID pandemic. But I think on the one hand, this is fantastic and it highlights for us the amazing health and well-being benefits that we can get from vaccines and from vaccination. But on the other hand, what it highlights for us at Suvita is the fact that we are already missing out on these benefits for a huge number of diseases. So every disease on this slide now is vaccine preventable. Most of these are childhood immunizations. So most of these are covered by Suvita's work and our programs. And the fact that any of these diseases still exist, I think, is a, um, is a real failure on our part as, you know, as a human community and as a global community, because We've seen the massive amount of effort and the great success that results from developing a new vaccine. And so our work at Suvita is about making sure that the benefits of this amazing technology can be available to everybody. 
And there's, there's definitely plenty of reason for hope. So we had great news from the WHO Africa region earlier this year in August, where it was officially certified free of wild polio virus. And this is the result of a huge amount of effort from many different actors, including governments and health systems, individual parents that are making decisions for their own children's health, nonprofits and plenty of other groups. And so I think this is for us, this is really motivating and a good sign that if we all collectively prioritize this challenge, then it's something that we can overcome together. So for Suvita, that's exactly what we're working to do in the near future. We'll continue to expand our programs and monitor them and test them to ensure that they're having the positive effect that we hope and that this results in more children benefiting in terms of their health and their well-being from vaccinations. So to conclude, I just want to thank everybody who's helped us on our journey so far as an organization. You can see all of our institutional funders at the bottom of the slide here. And I'd also like to say thank you to the growing number of individuals who, who are donating to us to support our work because we massively appreciate it, as well as also thanking our fantastic advisors and wonderful volunteers who have contributed to helping us to achieve the success of program implementation that we've achieved so far um, and that we hope to continue to do so in future. So thank you very much to everybody. Okay, um, Fiona, thanks so much for that talk and, and thanks so much for joining us here for this uh, Q&A session. We don't have that much time, so I think I might just jump straight into it with the first question. Um, and we've got a question uh, that's been submitted that's around how you plan to keep the ambassadors committed to the programs. Um, and so the, the question is noted that um, typically influential people in a community are, will often be tapped by other programs. Um, so yeah, how, how are you planning on keeping them committed? Yeah, that's a really great question. So um, within the original JPAL study, our understanding is that the, the messages that went to ambassadors were sort of relatively generic in terms of the information that they were sharing around immunization. And we believe that the study was particularly interested in focusing on the identification of ambassadors. Um, and so perhaps less focused on testing out different ways to, to strengthen the motivation of ambassadors who are involved with the program. So this is something which um, the mechanism is not greatly understood for at the moment, but we're aware that it could be potentially really useful in terms of thinking about how we can make the, the program more impactful, um, particularly because, you know, if there are ways that you can um, slightly boost the, the enthusiasm of, of ambassadors who are involved with um, by small behavioral nudges, like changing the framing of your SMS messages, for example, then this could really help to make the program more cost effective. So there are a couple of things that we are sort of testing out already as a starting point. So basic things like using the ambassador's name in the messages that you send to them um, to help them feel as though they're a bit more personally connected to the program. But um, one of the other things that we're also doing is basically just having conversations with the ambassadors. So really trying to get a sense of um, what is it that motivates them? What is it that they find hard about their role or easy um, so that we can then try and identify those things and see if there's anything that we can do that makes their life easier, which might then help to boost their, their motivation and ability to stick around in the programme. Um, one of the other things related to this is that actually, given the, the sort of low understanding of the exact mechanisms by which information spreads, it may be the case that ambassadors don't need to stick around, don't need to, sorry, be involved in very sort of um, intense activities. It might be the case that they just pass a message on to three or four of their friends um, and, and that's how the information begins to disseminate. So these are a number of the questions that we'll be discussing with the ambassadors um, to really get a sense of how we can, we can build their motivation. Um, and support them in that way. Okay, great. 
Um, well, it's, it's such a shame that we, we don't have any time for, for more questions, but um, I just wanted to say it's a really impressive work that, that you're doing with Suvita um, and how much you've done in one year, and particularly given 2020 and all of 2020's challenges. Um, and I note that you're actually hiring at the moment. So um, if people are feeling inspired by this work, um, they can perhaps jump on your website to find out more information about that. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. So we're hiring for a head of operations and a head of product and data. So if anyone's interested, please check out our website. Um, and we'd be really excited to see you there. Okay, great. All right, well, um, thanks very much for joining us, Fiona, and um, thanks everybody at home for joining us too. Thanks very much for having me.